Good Chicago. This is Khalif here. We have a special interview episode for you today. I am not on the control on the controls this time. I am not behind the boards this time. This time we give the controls over to someone who I really, really like their work. Uh, Isaiah D. Colbert, young cat who, who's kind of starting in the biz, getting his feet wet, making some dope things happen. Um, and he pulled together a fantastic video uh, and a fantastic interview, a video coming up soon on our YouTube channel. Uh, where he did an interview with one of my favorite uh, music artists in Two Mellow, who has a new album coming out, Sounds of Tokyo To, uh, Future Out Now. It's out now. So make sure you go cop that joint over in his band camp uh, and get some of that work in there. So please check out this interview. Uh, give them both some love. Uh, Isaiah uh, is, is, is Isaiah's Twitter. He spells it really interestingly and, and super well in a really cool way. Uh, and Mellow Makes is Mellow's uh, Twitter handle. So please go check them out. Go cop the album. Go check out the album and listen to this fantastic interview from Isaiah. Killing it here on Spawn on Me. Much love to you all. We'll see you in a little bit. Make sure you go check out the YouTube video going up a little bit later on today or tomorrow. Uh, YouTube.com slash Spawn on Me. We'll see you all soon. Peace. I want to ask this question. You're going to have to um, be patient with me with this one. This is uh, mm. a me as a fan. Definitely been wanting to ask you this question for a while. Oh, sure. So uh, have you had people come up to you either on the streets or, you know, the virtual streets of Twitter and, you know, ask you to freestyle something real quick to, you know, prove your worth as a human being since the memories of uh, Tokyo Uh It's funny you say that because uh, after I recorded that part, I kind of immediately forgot my own lyrics. Oh, no. uh, and some of my friends, uh, some of my friends who had heard the album would like uh, start asking me to freestyle and I, I just got upset. <laughs> I was like, why is this happening? But then they were like, oh, it's a reference to your album. And I was like, mm -mm. no. Why did I make the thing happen? It's yeah, it's like um, definitely with just me wanting to ask that question. I noticed that there was like little bits and snippets of just like references to memories of Tokyo to and uh, sounds of Tokyo to future. So I wanted mm -hmm. to uh, touch on those as well. But um, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. But I wanted to ask you. Um, so what was kind of the moment for uh, that sort of made it click for you to decide, like, now is definitely the time to come back into making like sequel to uh, Memories of Tokyo to, uh, three years after the sort of first album there? Well, I think just listening to the first album and feeling it get old for me or feel like something old, especially because I made like three albums after it. Uh, I really had a lot to get out and I liked the stuff that I did for those a little more. Um, felt like it was more evolved. So I kind of wanted to show, come back around, show people and show myself what I could do on a new album because I knew that wasn't all I had in me. I think right after the first one dropped, I thought maybe that was all I had to say. But soon, like, I don't know, six months or so after I started thinking about another one. Uh, so it was a really, it was a really quick turnaround on just realizing that I had more to say in that sort of style. What part of uh, the first album, um, what aspects of it sort of felt like it was kind of getting old to you that you kind of wanted to sort of follow up on? I think just the production, um, it was more, there was a lot more bare bones, um, like not as heavily layered or as dynamic as some of the Jet Set Radio music can be, the way that it evolves into different parts there wasn't as much as that and it kind of felt like a like the baseline attempt um rather than a full realization 
of those kinds of soundscapes, it felt more like, I don't know, like <laughs> some of the songs started to feel like a scratch record, you know, like um, the records that DJs buy that just have a bunch of beats and random voice clips on them and stuff. Uh, and every once in a while, something that resembles a song to have people like battle over. Uh, some of the songs started to feel like scratch record beats. <laughs> and I was like, no, I need to make something bigger than this. Mm. Because uh, definitely after like listen through, I like I've listened to the new album at least four or five times now. Um, wow. I definitely noticed that um, this one definitely feels definitely a lot like bassier. And like I definitely like I had a moment while I was listening to it, like right off the bat with even the first song, I'm like okay, yeah, 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 this is different. Like this is really different. Like what you were doing with it. So I kind of wanted to sort of figure out like what part of at least the production side of things that you kind of like did differently from the first one. Yeah, I do think that I just wanted to make it. Uh, I guess the way that I think of it in my head is like more expensive. Uh, I, I, wanted, I was thinking about like the first electronic albums that I got introduced to in the 90s and the way they sounded so huge, like especially uh, Fat of the Land by The Prodigy. It has like Firestarter and Breathe on it. And I just remember the feeling that those songs gave me. Uh, looking back, I can kind of see all the bits and pieces of them because I know more now. But as a kid i was just like blown away by how massive they felt it's like just really produced to the extent that was possible at that time and just huge huge mm -hmm. sounds so i did want to kind of bring those huge sounds back you said that uh, there was like definitely i've seen like the other albums that you're working on in between these so uh, how long has um sounds of tokyo to future sort of been in the works i think about two and a half years i say three years but yeah, about about two and a half, um, probably, and really intensely since like November of last year has been like the big run. Uh, it's one of those things where I had several concepts floating around. I think I made like a hundred plus songs and ideas, hmm. and I narrowed that down. Um, and in the past, the past. I don't know how long has it been, like maybe eight months has been the like brutal final cutting down of everything and like realizing what the album is actually going to be. The name, definitely. I wanted to ask you what's the uh, kind of meaning behind the name of the album. Well, I went through a lot um, and I like to play a game where I like see if I could have good SEO. <laughs> mm. um, it's not strictly necessary <clears throat> if things get popular or whatever, um, but I wanted to see if I could find a name that had some connection to the first one felt like it was indicating something really different was important because I don't know. It's definitely not memories of Tokyo to two. And yeah, I got really, I got really caught up on the word future in general, even though it is the jet set radio future is the game. So it's kind of obvious that future that that's how it started. It started as like, well, the first one was my take on Jet Set Radio 1, I guess. And the second one will be future. But I kind of just threw that all out the window at some point. But I kept the word future. And I just wanted the album to be like a burst of energy for, for what we might see in the next few years or even longer. Just kind of my, my statement. I guess, of like okay. intent and energy and stuff. 
And um, speaking of intent, guys, uh, you definitely mentioned that the first album sort of feels like it's more of like a scratch record kind of a thing. And this one, I guess, felt like it was like more, um, I guess, money in a way bigger put behind it. So I wanted to ask you um, personally, like, what does the first album sort of encapsulate for you as an artist? And um, um, what does this follow up album sort of encapsulate for you, like at this point in your life right now? Well, the first one for me was like, it was, I had thought for I don't know, like 10 years. I remember I keep telling my friends, I'm going to make a mellow party album. I'm going to make like a really energetic album, um, but I can never get it together. And then I kind of hit on the idea of Jet Set Radio 3 at the same time. I think I made a tweet or something like, what if I just made a Jet Set Radio 3 myself? And after that, it just kind of became a way to take what I saw as the last energy of my 20s because I thought that was the thing and put it into this last really big album to like set the, the uh, tone for the next decade of my life. So I thought at the time that might be the biggest thing I, I would ever make. And it was just like a love letter to stuff that had inspired me. And this one is kind of the same uh, as far as like what it means to me, but so much has happened to me since the first album i was actually i was able to leave kind of a toxic job in games due to the first album's success kind of carried me through for a bit so i could get some other stuff going it brought me probably like twice the audience that i had and it has really kept uh being like a, a source of financial support people have come to me to hire me based on songs off that album so it became really the, uh, you know, looking at it as a product, the thing that helped me make so many other things. But as for, as for this album, this was more of strictly, okay, now that I'm in this position where I have some leeway, I'm going to really take a few years to just make the best thing I can possibly make. Whereas uh, Memories of Tokyo Toe, when I was making it, I had zero expectations. So it was a very fun, loose, thrown together thing. But this one is more like more serious, much more time spent. It feels more weighty. It feels like it has more writing on it. So and that that made it like really hard and um, really exciting to make. Mm. And so one thing I definitely wanted to ask you, um, this is a question I was going to say for later, but it's definitely more appropriate to ask you now. So when it comes to um, definitely composing a type of album um what's your kind of philosophy for it because i noticed that um definitely like with the first one it did feel like there's different like different kinds of vibes different kinds of moods that you get with in between each song but um this album felt like there was a little bit more of like a, a completeness to it like each song kind of like bounced off of each other and just sort of like created its own kind of like vibe throughout the whole album was that kind of like your intention with this one or was it just sort of just like i like pick and choosing like the best songs that you've made and just putting it together to sort of show off um the progress of your work for this one I'm kind of waiting for people to tell me okay. what it feels I'll like. Be, I'll be the first to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, because I don't really know. I thought, you know, I, I do think that the first one is way more of a collage of different things because I'm imitating the feeling of a collaborative uh, album, um, which is what those original game scores are. But I think with this one, uh, kind of became less of that and just more a contiguous album because 
a lot of the tracks do have there's not as many like straight hip-hop tracks for one is big obvious i don't know if there's any um any like normal hip-hop songs on this because the one that i have well i guess the the poison jam song is but it's not normal <laughs> yeah yeah because i was gonna uh, say like definitely like listening to us the bunch of the songs like they like switch between just being like kind of just like you're vibing out or just like you're it's just like you're going in on a lot of the songs. Like I think some of them that I'm into was um, I want to know definitely caught my ear. Mm-hmm. Um, Poison Jam caught my ear and Noisy Invasion and Love to Love. We're just like, all right, we're just fucking going in for these ones. But then there are also like moments within those songs where there's a break where there's like, we're just going to mellow out for a bit. It, it, like almost made me feel like the first album was just like definitely like early 20s. We're just going out to party. And this one's like the more mature. We're hosting cocktail parties, but we still do a rager in like the house kind of a setting. Yeah. So Ethan Red, my artist, uh, calls that my shoegaze mm-hmm. parts, <laughs> um, which I think those, I mean, it's getting ridiculous at this point, but I, my name still is Too Mellow. And what I primarily set out to do, I think, was make more calming instrumental music. And that still comes through. Like, I just can't suppress like my, my desire to do like those more calming breakdowns. Like the first song, Breakdown, Breakup, is like the most fiery thing for two thirds of the runtime. But then you have this breakdown that just feels like like a, the fire got extinguished for a while. It I wanted, I just kept naturally creating those moments. It was a really convenient way to both give ears a break and achieve the like ever changing style that I wanted to. It was very difficult. Just in general, the amount of beat switches this album has is like near untenable on my part. Uh, I had to do some technical mixing things to like, because some beat switches were so different from the song that they were in that I had to like mix and master them separately and then like link them together later, but make sure they still matched in volume. And yeah, that it was really important to me uh, as I'm always trying to distinguish myself from the things that inspire me and not just copy anything. It was important to me to have that part of my voice shine through as often mm-hmm. as it could just to remind people like, Hey, this is still a two mellow album. And uh, kind of as promised, I definitely wanted to touch on the, um, I wanted to ask you about the vocal samples uh, from the album. Cause mm-hmm. um, like I mentioned earlier, like I want to know sound effects uh, record 27, which definitely feels like it was just like, you just kind of go in hand with like everything that you kind of had with that one and a uh, rapid cruise. So um, I want to ask you, so um, was there like a um, different, like what, I guess one, if you need to like do like a whole email list of like, here is everything that I did. And I'll like definitely try to touch on that. But if like with those three songs specifically, um, what were kind of the things that you sampled from for that one? Uh, it was all vocal sample CDs of uh, various sources, but uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, mostly, I dig for the old 90s era sample CDs that people made. It's mostly like uh, original recordings of imitating like things that you would find and grab from a record, I guess. Mm-hmm. A lot of these are like imitations of that kind of style of thing. They're not uh, directly ripped from a real source, so to speak. Like it is, it is a sample pack manufacturer trying to... Uh, replicate that stuff to give you like a royalty free version of it. And I, I want to know is from like a, a uh, CD that basically gives you like R and B song construction kits. 
It just gives you like, oh, here's the lead vocal. Here's the what the hook would be. Here's the backup vocals. And I, I guess I just wanted to flip that kit into something it was definitely not like intended to be for, I guess. That one definitely felt like a Destiny's Child, like through the lens of too mellow kind of a oh, thing. Yeah. For me. I was like, oh yeah, we're, we're no, going in with this. I love, I love R&B. I love that era of R&B. And I just wanted to make, I wanted to make basically something that sounded like a club remix of an R&B song that doesn't exist. Mm. For I want to know. Sound effects record was this thing where I started making this song sound a really silly uh, but thought it still was pretty good though. And I eventually, when I got to my rapping part, I decided that I was going to rap as a sample CD telling you to sample me. <laughs> um, so the whole concept is just like use whatever sounds you want. And the reason it's so goofy and I just packed all the, you know, stock sound effects I could think of in there. I just wanted to show people how far you can push the limit of what sounds are supposedly allowed to be in like a cool song that uh, just kind of inspire people to use uh, unusual stuff in their music. People are really into this frog sample. Everyone who's, uh, who's heard it so far, is really talking up the frog. I mentioned my favorite kind of like um, tracks on the album, um, but I wanted to ask you what were some of your uh, favorite sort of like um, tracks and even samplings that you used in the album and why? I think my favorite tracks going through, would be Breakdown, Breakup, Noise the Invasion, Love to Love, I Want to Know, Rapid Crew, I Should Have Known, <laughs> um, Poison Jam, Chainsaw Funk, and Pull Up. And I know that's a lot of my album. <laughs> but I guess the, the reason for that would be that those are the ones that were finished a little later. Um, mm. And it really excites me about my own music when I get to hear like the last touch of spice added and then it's done uh like i don't have to sit with it for months but i can just hear like a really exciting thing and oh then it's done then it's final uh so those songs just feel newer to me like breakdown breakup i never had a good version to play in my car until like a few weeks ago and when i finally got it in there it was just like oh my god i, I like the the sample in that one because i feel like for that one i really got to i molded two separate samples i want to say one of them is saying breakdown and one of them is saying turn it up or something like that so i just put them into this nonsense phrase that has like uh it still has an energy to it i don't know what that energy is but what if i just i just searched every sample on my computer that says break and i put them all or as many of them as possible into the song there's still like 20 more i didn't use but i liked i don't know that one felt like the sort of sort of nonsense energy that some of the Jet Set Radio songs have with their vocal samples. Noise the Invasion, feel like I was tapping into some weird like mid-2000s electro vibe with that one. The vocal sample for that one just sounded really slick to me and it sounded different than anything I would make, but it sounds like something I would listen to myself and be really excited about. Like it sounds like a track from the 2000s that I would think, oh, everyone knows about this track. Hell yeah. And then go look it up on YouTube and it has like 6,000 views all time <laughs> since it released. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess not everyone knows about this. Love to Love is probably the most energetic song I've ever made. It got to a point where I was listening to, to Love to Love sound effects record and I want to know 
in the row and like realizing that was going to be a run of songs in the album. And I was like, is this a health hazard? I, this is really a lot, <laughs> a lot at once, but I do get to break it up a little bit with the, uh, the like soulful part of love to love, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably one of my favorite beat switches on the album. I was so excited about it when I made it. Uh, I've listened to it way too many times now, but I'll just, you know, pretend I'm still that excited. Rapid Crew is like a weird, I guess it's a medley without calling it a medley. I had planned to have a medley on the album and then I was like, uh, probably should be satisfied with just making this album at all and not pile this on. And then I was like, no, nah, what if I piled it on secretly uh, in the last moment? Uh, it ended up becoming three different songs. And I'm I'm really proud of that one. I'm really proud of being able to make three things that I think people would want to hear more of there uh but tease them mm. the the i should have known is also one of my favorite vocal samples on the album because i just want to know what this guy did <laughs> why what what happened there there's no other rhymes around this sample that give context mm. of why he should have known i really like the um the like old schoolish monaural electric piano that i use in that one it it's like, I can't even really say what it does, but it, it feels like, I guess, like a classic house track or something. It just has this substance to it that makes the whole thing stick together. Chainsaw Funk, I made that. Oh, there was this TikTok song. Oh, what's it called? It was so good. It had like a whip sound. And what the, uh, it's like this really fast, like booty bass type song. That I heard on there. Oh my god! It's the one with the, the where the person is dancing with like the duck or whatever. That that TikTok song. Okay, okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm like vaguely remembering it, but like I've seen so many like derivative versions of it. Like oh god, yeah. like trying to parse through it. Well, it's like a like a bounce booty mm. bass type song. Anyway, um, I wanted yeah I wanted to make something much faster like that, but still felt like sharp. So I really liked all the. The little vocal samples, especially the whistle, like the guy whistling that I got in there. Oh, Future Unwritten. I should talk about this one. Yeah, because uh, I thought that that was very interesting that you ended the album with Future Unwritten as like the final song on it. So mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about that and the choices behind that. Yeah, it was originally like um, a, like a, <laughs> I was going to make basically a Jamiroquai song. Mm-hmm. I was going to like be singing talking about how everything's going to be okay <laughs> or whatever. But then I thought like, well, I don't want to write the future. I'm, I'm saying future unwritten. I don't want to actually <laughs> write that. I think things are going to be better. Um, so I kind of just decided to end it on a really chill and different note and just something to help people relax. I do see uh ba that close out on the first album as also mm-hmm. being chill in a way, but it's less, less chill than this. Mm-hmm. For this, I just wanted this to sound like nighttimey and soupy, like really uh, congeal together, I guess, even though it has several different parts. But I was really proud of the vocal sample that I put in this was something that I had trying to be put I had been trying to put everywhere. But I was lucky enough to find like a public domain radio show with an episode that had people talking about a bunch about samples. Uh, and it was a joy to uh, to be able to use that somewhere on the album. I'm glad you mentioned Bada because I think that's like one of my like top three of the last album. So it's, I'm glad to at least even have a mention of that during this interview. Oh yeah. It's like, um, 
it's like a weird front runner now. I think it's mm-hmm. the most popular song on the album now. Like I, I guess I think someone used it in like a Rivals of Aether YouTube video or something, <laughs> uh, and it blew up. I don't know. Um, for some reason, it blew up. Um, I kind of thought that would be like my car commercial song. <laughs> Because mm, like reason. definitely between that twenty four hour party people and say something those are like TikTok gold that no one is mined yet which I'm like very surprised <laughs> about. Yeah, I don't know exactly what caused this spike, but it has become I think the most played song. Mm-hmm. I think it's that Tagwell's Punch Fascists and twenty four hour party people, mm-hmm. um, that have been the big ones from that mm-hmm. album. And so I'm um, leaning more into definitely the names of the songs on the album. You have a lot of just choice names for every song on this album. So I wanted to oh, uh, sort of ask you, like, what was uh, sort of the thought process in like naming a lot of the songs on the album? Thinking more about the um, samples, what went into um, just the namings of each song? Because when I saw like your list of like, here's all the songs that are going to be on this album, I was like, chainsaw like that that's a oh, real yeah. hard that's, that's a really hard title oh so, yeah. well that that song it's a very simple reason behind uh mm. chainsaw funk which is i had to name it on the same day i finished chainsaw man okay yeah that and i was like sense. you know makes what sense. i was like you know what this has that energy mm. uh, that's a cool name yeah um and yeah like you said it sounds like it's going to be the hardest song on the album <laughs> automatically but mm. uh yeah, it, it hit. I was like, at one point, I think I, I think I put a draft name in it to be like, could it be called Street Fighter? Street Fighting? No, that's a game. I can't call. It. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know. It sounded like it is like the battle theme mm-hmm. for, for whatever it sounds of Tokyo To Future. The game. It would mm-hmm. be. It would be the battle theme. But yeah, a lot of them are based on the sample. Uh, okay. Breakdown, breakup, life on the line. Which is just like one sample used in the first. No, I guess I reference it later in my lyrics. Uh, Dance with you long, love to love. Just marking off all the ones that are obvious. I want to know. Mm. I should have known. Don't stop now. A lot of these have uh, direct references. Uh, a pull up uh, was again. I just liked the energy, especially the sample I found of the guy going. Up so fast that it just kind of sounds like a blup, blup sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, God, this has to be a big one uh, if it's got this going on. And the way that I ended up pulling up, I love. Um, yeah, Poison Jam Part 2 was just straight up to get people hyped when they saw the track list. Because mm-hmm. um, I noticed that that was like the only one where you were straight up explicit about like, here is a song yeah. that is like the part two of a song that was on the previous album, like out of all the ones. Like you, like um, definitely... Um, mentioned um there's like one song that i like really really love that's no longer on the spotify one it's like ah oh, shit um uh, i'm like forgetting i'm like on the name now i'm like fake fan it's oh god uh, i'm like literally looking up now so i don't like embarrass myself on stream here with this um oh return of the soul where you like mm-hmm. straight up mentioned that like yeah that was like i think looking one of my favorite things that you've like ever made so like i was really happy that you even mentioned that and like one of the songs on this album oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah i guess more to the point of the questions here um so we talked about the sampling so i wanted to uh, also talk about the collaborations that happened on this album so i noticed that you had uh, anton Carraza and tvma on this one mm-hmm. so i wanted to ask you um what was it about their style um that sort of like um grabbed you and like you felt like their additions would sort of help complement uh sounds of tokyo to future well anton was obviously in the first album and i pretty much just 
he really knocked it out of the park with the uh, with the first uh, the solo on that album. Like I had actually on that album, I wrote the first part where the sax comes in, uh, the kind of layered um, multi layered plane that was slower. And then I just said, I don't even know. I hadn't really hired musicians up to this point. So I don't know if this is a normal thing, but I just said, can you do like 16 bars, but of sax or something like that? Um, and I feel like he kept going in the recording. And I was like, fuck yes, just do this. <laughs> just do this. Um, I f- feel like I can just point him at a space and he fills it with musical brilliance. Like that's all there is to it. In in his own music as well, his melodies are ridiculous. Like just uh, the pockets that he finds in like lead lines are really uh, really appealing to me. And I have always loved saxophone as an instrument, always. But like I think maybe like the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack is what I was trying to evoke. I think mm-hmm. some people have even called that out as like specifically because it has. It has sax stuff that you almost feel like you can hum, but at the same time, it's still clearly a jazzy solo. And as for TVMA, uh, I they're just one of my closest friends, um, and I once put like a beat in a Discord we were in, and they sent it back to me with a rap over it. Like I don't know, I thought this would be fun. Mm. Uh, and as far as I know, I don't think they have. I think this is their rap debut. But when I heard it, I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Like uh, it was it was a very like interesting rhythmically spaced flow, I guess. And the the concepts coming up were dope. It it felt like, I don't know, like a like a more poetic. Not stream of consciousness, but I guess like a vivid imagery of rap. Um, in an interesting style. So I wanted that on the album. Once I realized Rapid Crew was going to have the potential, um, because I basically, I made the first beat switch to my part with, uh, like, cause I was tired of the song. I just couldn't make any more of that first beat. I think it had gone everywhere that I wanted it to go. So I had to do something to spice it up. Um, and I, I jokingly said like, oops, I made a Coolio song <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to some of my friends. Um, and I've I originally had them write to and rap over that part, uh, but I changed the beat on them. Mm. I I, I uh, kind of sent back their verse with a different beat under it. It was like I had to do this. Mm. Um, this is just how the song is happening now. They were really into it because I think uh, they felt that their that their uh, rap over the other beat felt a little too old school. Mm. So I just kind of transformed it. It is very hard to rap over those beats that are like Treacherous 3 type, mm. like like uh, street jams uh, without doing a little bit of the ha 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 ha. <laughs> it's, a little bit, it's really hard to avoid, mm. to avoid falling into that style a little bit. Uh, but um, yeah, I ended up, um, I think at that point I was mixing a lot of stuff and doing a lot of technical stuff. And I just wanted to make actual music again instead of doing this math bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I made that uh, that third beat. Are there any other artists that you'd uh, like to collaborate maybe in the future? Are there any like people that you've sort of kept your eye on and like, oh, this person like really good at what they do, and you'd love to, like just meet up with the minds and just uh, collaborate on an album or even like um, 
uh, song in the future? Well, I think I may have already locked it in with some people. Okay. Uh, so I'm not going to reveal it yet. Gotcha, but, gotcha. Um, yeah. Um, it's something I need to think about more. But weirdly, these are two of my like first big collaborations. I don't do it a lot. I really, I learned to make music in like the least collaborative environment of just uploading things online. And if the scenes I was in, like the drum and bass scene in the early 2000s, I think the stuff that I wanted to do with samples just kind of clashed with uh, what everyone else was trying to do. Because everyone is moving towards like really heavy synth sound design. Um, there was this artist called Noisia in particular, who might, might still be around, mm-hmm. who were just pioneering like these ridiculous bass samples and everyone was just trying to get the most disgusting like basically precursor to dubstep like the most disgusting drum and bass bases they could find like the biggest most distorted and i was just not it was Mm. just not my thing um i was coming in more from like the jungle side of things with the samples and yeah so i feel like i always was going against the grain or couldn't find people to work with that were on the same wavelength. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't for so long that it built into like an insecurity uh, that maybe I couldn't work with other people. Um, and I don't have a traditional music uh, teaching. So maybe I can't even communicate with other people if I worked with them, but I am going to try to try to get over that more and work with other people. And so I wanted to ask you, because uh, I'm definitely really hella pedestrian when it comes to definitely the music production side of things. So I wanted to ask you, um, what are kind of the methods that you used uh, to even like construct like, memories of Tokyo To, And um, were they the same kind of methods and workflow that you kind of went into with Sounds of Tokyo To Future? And like, what parts did you like sort of like mitch match and sort of like tweak and change? Um, made it worse <laughs> because <laughs> I just, the, the, the way that I made it harder on myself just for for a while, this album was a real like ship of Theseus mm. thing where I'm constantly throwing out, replacing and, and uh, then I go back to something else and now it sounds too old. So I have to replace it. But just the, the initial goal that I set for myself of making a big electronic album. I think I just, I could have done less maybe um, mm. in these last eight months of finalizing it. I was really feeling that like, Oh, I, I now have to cash these checks and also Mm -hmm. no one knows that this is happening, but me. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have anyone to like talk to about rolling things back. Like I just did this and now I have to to solve it. And besides that, there was just the changes in the world and everything where this, this album was meant to be like an exciting summer type album i remember going to magfest in 2020 which is basically the last big event that i attend attended and i remember listening to like the early drafts of breakdown breakup and stuff in there like rooms crowded with hundreds of people trying to think like uh what would be something to get these people excited i wanted to make something you could walk around a con with and like keep your energy level up i was plan was to go back to the studio with that but little did i know that i would not like be able to access that energy source again so a lot of the album was really struggling with um, the idea that there wouldn't be like a big summer to release it in. It wouldn't get to breathe outside. It would always have to be made in my little apartment. And I would go on walks with it, try 
and maybe the the walks were what caused all the uh, really calm breakdown parts actually um whereas in memories of tokyo toe the workflow was just i'm a silly person making a high energy album it was so much easier like i think i want to say that i wrote the the verses for say something and rock the beat i think i recorded all those in one day and for say something i just i think i was going to do a third verse and i just did the monologue which i did not know like that's one of those things where you just wake up the next day and are like, oh, I made that, huh? Okay. Mm. Uh, but people really attached to that. Mm. Um, and I want to say that's officially when the third verse died in hip hop is when I released that song. Mm. I am the one who killed the third verse. <laughs> yeah, it was so low expectations and it got to be so personal and so, so wacky. And as you can see, the first album is much more directly referential to the games and this one is not uh i kind of wanted to back away from that a bit uh and make my own thing yeah it was it was much easier and more fun to make the first one but it has been more deeply satisfying and more of like a proof to myself of what i can do what i can really do to make the second one mm. because as an independent musician you rarely get the same time that like label label musicians might get to work on an album to be supported um mm -hmm. and through band camp sales especially i was able to get that steady trickle that allowed me to just say like okay i'm not going to take in like commission work and i'm actually going to focus on this thing and just designing it uh, for years yeah so for certain certain aspects of memories of tokyo to ended up making sounds of tokyo to future happen at all okay and so um, I wasn't going to, wanting to ask because I noticed um, in your like Twitter post like yesterday where you're saying like I've like um, you're doing like some fine tuning for some of the tracks um, before you sort of like decided that um, it's finally done. So I wanted to ask you, mm -hmm. um, uh, what about like which tracks were you like sort of fine tuning a little bit and like what about them did you feel like you needed to either add or like maybe take away from to like make sure that it was like ready to go? Okay, so the last ones, last ones to be finished were Rapid Crew and Pull Up mm -hmm. and the last thing to be finished in general was the vocal recording, which I was mm -hmm. so nervous about because I hadn't done it in so long uh, since Return of the Soul. I hadn't really done proper vocal recording. So I really had to get back warmed up to it. And the songs that had the heaviest vocal presence for me, besides Poison Jam, that went weirdly easy. But <laughs> the, the ones that had the most vocal presence, like Pull Up, for example, I was just kind of agonizing over like, oh, should I re-record this part? And it really came down to the to the wire on it. I was like, how much was I going to change right before? But I kind of calmed myself down and listened to other rap songs I like and took some like mixing tips from them and just said like, no, this is it. Like, this is a good song. You need to relax. Mm -hmm. And with Rapid Crew, it was just suddenly having this moment of feeling like the beat behind me was too thin. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I could put a pad in there or something. But I didn't have a concrete idea of what the sound would be. And I knew that it would just be a, a bigger source of stress that I didn't need because the thing is I had to get the album done by yesterday, Tuesday, August 17th um, to submit it a week early so that it hits streaming services at the right time. Hmm. Um, so I really adding like searching through sound banks, trying to find the right sound for this thing was not going to be a good look at a time where it would still need to be mixed in. Yeah, it's so I, I talked myself away from that potential ledge and 
it's funny the moment that i submitted the album to streaming services actually like the point of no return uh, for those you have to do a whole rigmarole if you want to resubmit for Bandcamp, i could just sneakily revise the song and throw it back in there you'll never know if you're listening mm-hmm. to the same song just kidding i've never done that um but at the moment that i put all the stuff out there and knew it was on its way out i suddenly loved all the songs so much more and just stopped worrying about the little things um i've heard of like famous cases of people getting their albums pulled away from them like it needs to come out now like tribe called quest with the low end theory I think I want to say that their manager just kind of like grabbed a copy of it and put it out, which is so terrifying to me um, because they just wouldn't stop tweaking it. And I'm, I'm happy that I didn't let myself get to that point. And I actually just said no to myself on some of the extra decisions, decisions I wanted to make and um, really yeah, like a hundred percent of the album, I think, is exactly what I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to sort of go back into like your um, literal mentionings of it um, in that tweet where you said like I finally let it let it go. And I wanted to ask you, um, what does it mean to you as an artist to like finally let it go and call an album to be done? Like, were there like um, just points like the parts of it where you're just like, this is now the time where I can just decide to like sort of like walk away from it and be like, it's done. I did everything I, I can do with it. So can you sort of walk me through that moment? Like how late were you in the day working on it or in the night working on it? Uh, can you sort of walk me through that scene for it? Yeah. So it was, I think I have been working like 10 to 12 hour days to finish it for two weeks. It has been the heavy crunch time. Cause as soon as I put the, the reason actually that I put the teaser video out in July <laughs> was it was like, I don't know, like a week earlier than I expected to do it. But the reason that I did that was like, okay, I know me and I know that I'll be able to light a fire under myself if I promise this because, oh, I can't break a promise. Mm. I cannot. <laughs> um, and I will do whatever is in my power to uh, to not do that. So um, basically use that as a tactic to push myself. And I, I had been like so exhausted. Um but miraculously, things in the last, I don't know, 24 hours of the album were going really smoothly and routinely. Like it just kind of felt like paperwork almost. It felt like a normal job. Um, it wasn't really some panicked on fire thing that a lot of the rest of the album had been. It was kind of just like a smooth slide through the finish line. I finished the album or decided, yeah, I finished it at like 4 or 5 p.m., and I went out to dinner with some friends. I told them it was done and that I was going to like go right back after that and submit it. And I did. So it was a very like low key way to finish this thing comparatively to the, all the days I had spent coming up with nothing on lyrics and really stressing myself out and like wondering if I even had anything to say and wondering if any of these songs would be good at all. I had a really low amount of people listen to this and it was, it took me a long time to accept that uh, people were liking it because it really was. And I voiced this like when, when I would let people listen to it is like, I've really been um, way too close to this thing to the point where I can't tell, I cannot tell if it's good or not anymore. And the fact that people are after I released rave shit 
uh, one song so far. And people are saying like, oh, I have this on loop. It's so catchy. And like noting things about it that I was like, yeah, I did try to do that. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm starting to come down from that being too close to it and realize that like, no, I did. I did make like a well-controlled thing. I didn't let myself go bananas with it. Uh, and that was something I was trying to restrain throughout the project of like, don't have the sophomore slump. This is like my 20th album. So it's not an actual <laughs> sophomore slump is not a concern at this point, but mm. um, just don't make a disappointing sequel for the love of God. Mm. Um, so that, that, that pressure was on. And you mentioned that you've definitely done other albums in between then, especially like of note um, for me, the atmospheric horror album and uh, sort of like the more lo-fi kind of like vibes with the other type of beats for the other albums. Um, I want to ask you, um, what way did they help you like grow as an artist when it comes to like producing like the different types of sounds, like definitely also like posting like snippets of like different like things you do work on like Twitter and like uh, Instagram. Um, how did that like help you grow as a magician? Oh, magician, you're also a magician, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, how did it let you grow as a, a musician as well as like also posting snippets and getting like feedback on like Twitter about those kinds of things? So that was really an ability to blow off steam. Um, I don't know how other musicians work like this, uh, but I constantly make music and it's not always the thing that I'm actually supposed to be working on, which now that I say that out loud, that seems like something people talk about doing a lot. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really weird. Uh, Summer in Silent Places was really well received, which I was happy for um, because it was very clearly me like, Oh, why is he doing another album rollout? Um, when we're all waiting for this very obvious thing. Uh, so I was kind of worried how it was going to be received, but I just really needed to do it. Um, I really needed to, to make some more relaxed, casual, and also like future leaning for me things uh, while I was tied to this thing that I knew was going to be a long project because like some of the beats on here, not all, but some are like even kind of old to me from how long the album's been going. So I liked doing the really quick stuff for Atmospheric Horror Month that almost shows like the next thing that I'm going to do after Sounds of Tokyo to a Future more than this album does. Mm -hmm. um, and the clips are the same way. A lot of the clips I've been introducing are absolutely like actually going to be on the next albums I work on, but I'm just letting you hear a little early. And I was so curious if that was going to, you know, make people think that everything I was posting was on future or not. But I think people, I think people got it for the most part, uh, that that's kind of going to be the next stuff. And I did have one person on, uh, on YouTube say like, oh, if this is the side stuff of what you're making now, then I can't wait to hear the, the main stuff. Mm. Um, and that was nice. I know that you posted back in February um, that you like almost lost all the hearing in your left uh, your left ear, and I wanted to um, obviously alongside everything, um, just the pandemic, just shit in general going on in the world. Um, and you also mentioned that you were like working on the hardest album like that you've ever worked on, which I assume is this one. If yeah. um, I guess yeah, right, yeah. Right, okay. So I wanted to ask you. Um, so can you like I guess if you mind going into it, can you like kind of walk me um, through like what that experience was like, and like were there like moments where you had to like compensate like. Um, when composing music with like the fear of like losing the hearing in the left side of your ear, like what was um, that whole experience for you? It was, it was a lot. 
it ended up being something easily solvable, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just took forever to get in uh, to a doctor at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did have to deal with the time lost. Um, but basically, I was moving into a new place that didn't have a lot of like uh, neighbor noise issues of my previous place that had been uh, thwarting me trying to work on the album. So I was like, yeah, okay, it's time to do it. But like a week before I moved out of that place, uh, something dislodged in my ear and suddenly I couldn't hear anything. Um, And yeah, uh, I I did really start to think into like (laughs) read stories of, of people like, who worked in music, especially people who were like engineers, because that's the thing I'm really worried about um, is just losing my ability to reference sound. Um, I started reading through stories and people were actually for the most part saying that you, you really adapt to it. And the like obvious fear that it presents is a little overblown. Um, However, my situation still uh, was really extreme and kind of didn't work on anything in that time. I had to take almost like a month off the album pretty forced because I didn't want to make any additions or changes that I was going to have to like remember to check on later. Because I was at this point assuming that whatever this was would be resolved. I didn't think it was any of the serious things it could be, but... Yeah, I just, I didn't want to commit to anything. So it was yet another roadblock to this thing that was already hard. It was really stressing me out. I thought of it all the time. It took me a long time to get used to it at all in any way. Otherwise, I was, I was like checking my hearing by opening up a, uh, my digital audio workstation and like playing a synth in both ears and saying like, oh, what level is it at today or whatever? Like, is it any better? And just could not believe that it was my ear. Like, ah, oh, my, yeah, my my ear that has been through so much and like knows sound so well is like this now. Um, but it did get resolved, and once it did, I was pretty excited to get right back into it. I guess mm-hmm. it was a weird. I mean, eventually, like I I know that parts of me are going to wear down, and like I am going to start losing frequencies and stuff. But I think I wasn't ready to experience that still at this moment, this very inconvenient moment where I couldn't say like, well, let's step back and, you know, reevaluate things and think about this. Like, no, I can't. I'm already late. Mm -hmm. Uh, I already wanted this to be out last year. So yeah, it was definitely um, a big moment of setback. Mm -hmm. Uh, With you saying that you kind of started this in like November, um, was it November 2019 or 2020? Uh, 2019 it would have been yeah so having to also do like this within like in the midst of the pandemic as well so do you do a lot of your producing uh usually in home or do you go to a studio to do a lot of it and i guess like what part of the pandemic sort of also threw a wrench into things actually november 2018 would have been okay uh when i when i i started doing the first drafts of this album Mm -hmm. uh oh sorry can you repeat i got Uh, the fact that i did that wrong you're fine um, I was going to ask up. So what part uh, did the pandemic kind of do to also like kind of throw a wrench into things? Like, and did you like, did you usually produce your music in like at home or do you like have a studio that you go to that you usually do your, um, you do uh, music production in? 
So I'm very lucky to be able to do it at home and to be able to work from home and all the collaborations with uh, for this were remote. I think the only thing that really affected me was the way that everything in general was unsure and slowed down. And it definitely made me wonder, it, it kind of put a damper on like the big rollout that I wanted to do, which in retrospect, I was not equipped to do anyway. I wanted to have like multiple videos, all kinds of merch available on launch and just like multiple factors have caused a slowdown in the vinyl industry of uh, there was a really large, first of all, a lot of the plants are sh- were shut down for the pandemic because people couldn't be there in person. Uh, but also there was a, a really big fire at one of the places that manufactures a lot of uh, essential parts of the supply chain uh, for, for vinyl pressing. Um, and I think we are just now conveniently seeing those effects uh, now that I was trying to make a vinyl. But honestly, in a way, it's it's relieving to have that part pushed off until later because if I had to rush it out, I don't think I would have done it justice. And people really deserve uh, a good thing if they're buying that premium type of product. Mm, and, it, um, it, oh, it mainly, ahead, oh, you're fine. It contributed to mainly just the same mental stress everybody else was under. Uh, plus, I, have to, I was trying to make the hardest thing and I got caught in this period of making the hardest thing in my life. Looking back now and even like looking forward to the release of this um, album, I wanted to ask you, how would you uh, describe yourself as an artist back in 2018 uh, with memories of Tokyo to when that came out? And how would you describe yourself as an artist now? Well, in 2018, um, I think I really felt like I could take on anything. I was really, really way more confident about like what my work in games was going to be. I was more confident about uh, the idea of being an independent musician because I got this huge burst of like, I guess, goodwill and support from Memories of Tokyo Toe. And I made all those other albums. And I made a lot of wild commitments. Like I'm going to make three albums per year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I said at one point, which I did for a while, but yeah, just the most energy you can imagine an artist having in just the, the most um, confidence for my own thing. And like, I remember something uh, Jesus from Jesus and Mero said, which was like the, the satisfaction of feeling like not only are you getting more successful, but you're able to control everything. Um, You're able to like actually say no to things if they don't fit or um, if they would like sell you out or you would have to compromise some of your values. And he was saying that he and Mero got in a position where they could do that. And I was thinking like in a smaller way, I'm also more in that position now where I could, I could say no to a lot of stuff. Um, and I just like that idea of being a real fully independent artist who couldn't be brought down by, by like, a crappy label deal or something like that. Like I had, I had done a lot of things right at that point. And I'm basically the way more tired version of that now <laughs> where I couldn't really figure out how to make uh game stuff work to me, work for me. And that may, that may uh, change in the future, but 
I felt like I was starting to be in this more like oddball featured artist role rather than being like a main composer as often as I wanted to be. And I was starting to realize why people in games who I like the style of did seem to like take a break in their career or uh, stop composing. Um, I realized it was probably because it is, it's so hard to convince people on a unique type of sound. Um, And eventually your time will come back around, uh, I think, but it is, it is really hard to, uh, to continually get work in an industry that is this safe, I guess, or, you know, has always been unwilling to incorporate a lot of the sounds that I work in fully to embrace them fully, or rather just have like a one hip hop song or uh, one jazz song. You get one. I would be that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I yeah, started to become more cynical with like all the networking and stuff that comes with that too. And just online in general, social media in general started to really tire me out. And I'm, I'm at my most tired with that now where I think I'm just going to become like an artist account maybe eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just in every way, the more tired, more accomplished, but more tired version of that 2018 me. I definitely think my stuff sounds better now, but uh, there are a lot of things I have to or I want to do differently to keep like mental health going versus that person at that time. It was just all in on everything. You mentioned you wanted to do some like things differently for the mental health side of things. What were some of those things that you kind of like want to like going forward, you want to like sort of work towards and change for yourself? Probably just um, being, it's, it's really online, especially I basically dream of being someone who came up in like the late nineties, early two thousands where the internet was not in that level yet. And so it just wasn't a thing to worry about. And I could just make music like I did when I was a kid kind of wish I was still in that time period now. And there wasn't even the temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just wanting to, and it's a privileged position, obviously of not having to be online staking out stuff all the time and yelling about what you're working on all the time uh, is really, really hard. It's one of the hardest things Um there's a really good tweet. I don't remember who It's very funny that I'm bringing up a good tweet to say like why people shouldn't be online, but it was a good tweet about like, I don't want the only art to happen to be from people who were good at Twitter. And I was mm. like, fuck that shit hits. Mm. I also don't want that. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, I'm hoping that uh, that might break for everyone soon, maybe. And something will come along that will make the playing field a little more even mm. because as an independent artist, you really have to juggle a lot of jobs. And I think the one that has been the hardest for me is being public. Uh, even though I, I do get a lot of joy from it because uh, a lot of people were really nice and really supportive in ways I can't believe. Uh, it's still hard um, to just have that pressure. And it's kind of something you can't stop thinking about once you know it exists. Uh, yeah. I just want to keep that uh, that away from the music and away from the personal life as well. When it comes to your body of work and um, this upcoming album, I wanted to ask you, um, do you feel fulfilled with the way that this album sort of turned out? And um, where do you feel like you're going to go from here? So, yeah, I do. Um, I feel like it was, it's not exactly what I pictured hundred percent, but 
I do feel fulfilled by it. And I think that it is deep enough and has enough stuff in it that people are going to be looking over it for enough, enough time to distract them while I figure out what I'm going to do next. Um, <laughs> I think, I think that I, I um, next I want to start pursuing and uh, you know, don't hold me to this if I end up mm-hmm. not doing it, but like different time signatures, different types of sounds and genres. Um, I've been purposefully exposing myself to like more jazz fusion and math rock and like other genres that I really hadn't taken the time to delve into um, during, during pandemic times and getting more away from the stuff that I'm used to listening to. Also, I don't even know what it is now. Like it's definitely not just trap music, but I guess like trap style beats. I mean, there's so much, Mm. Uh, this is why I don't care about genres anymore. Um, but wanting to explore that, uh, wanting to explore things with more modern drums after uh, using break beats for so long and showing that, you know, I can also do that stuff. Uh, like the song Noise Investigation on uh, Atmosphere Core Month Volume 2 was definitely me being like, hey, look what I can do with individual drum hits. This has a swing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, just doing different types of beats. Um and also I'm going to be finally learning some instruments myself so I can record um, my own samples, I guess, um, begin to. I've been waiting for like a good pocket of time to do this mm-hmm. because it's really hard to do it while you're also like on the job. It's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to learn this instrument from a basic level while I'm making like a, an extremely advanced music project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this release should hold up for enough time to give me uh, a window to learn that stuff and then to come back with that stuff in the next project. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I just want to, want to be a little more self-reliant because there are not, there's a really concrete limit to how many samples are out there to work with. And I've never you know, had any issue making my own stuff, but um, I want to make that my main thing for a little while, uh, especially because it's so flexible. Uh, mm. and I can actually experiment if I uh, control all the sounds versus if I'm using something that was a recording. The last question I've got for you, was there anything that I didn't ask you or didn't mention that you want to um, sort of bring up and just sort of like air out at the moment? Hmm. Yeah, uh, there's one thing that was that I, I think I talked about on Twitter a little bit, but Memories of Tokyo Toe seems to have been really defined by like the the full rap songs that are on it and the way that those were personal and the way people connected with those and i was very the thing that i was most nervous about with sounds with the sequel is that i kind of knew i wasn't going to be able to do that again because i just wasn't feeling it i had nothing uh i was sitting and trying to come up with like personal things to say and it all just felt so forced and so unlike what I was ready for at the time so I ended up leaning more into these more comical more aggressive and flashy type songs like Poison Jam oh, it is so fun to rap as as a horrorcore type thing it's there's just so many things you can come up with I'm a huge fan of of horror movies 
and like horror scores and everything. So it's like no problem for me to make endless rhymes about like supernatural sci-fi horror stuff. So I just blazed through that once I got the concept and things like pull up where, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm funny. I think think people find me funny. So, and I, and I do really, really just, it really does just flow out when I've accepted that I'm writing a funny song. Um, So write a funny song about something serious was, uh, was my challenge for, for, for pull up in the way that that just flowed out. Um, And I guess rapid crew is the, is the one that kind of resembles to me. I feel like it resembles the work that I've done on like return of the soul and um, memories of Tokyo toe where it's, it's more like kind of a description of where I'm in my life right now. Like, Hey, I am. Oh yeah. Life in the line also ties into this. It's just like, I have identified this type of person that I don't want anything to do with in these music scenes or in these game scenes. I'm doing well for myself. I'm moving on. Um, These are the kinds of things I want to accomplish. That is pretty much the most personal I got on this. Otherwise I really had to accept that it was time to do that other more fun stuff and not make a big like revealing statement like I did with 24 hour party people like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a person that makes songs that sound like going outside who doesn't go outside. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I definitely appreciate it pull up because it had like the, the twisted T energy of just like smacking. <laughs> yeah, it does. The the no, there was so video. many, there were so many <laughs> fucking things that came out. There's another video where someone like hits a guy with a skateboard Mm. And I was like, oh, that's pull-up energy. Like, people don't know it yet. But that is, this is pull-up. Great. Great. Mm. It's happening. Uh, and I also saw, um, I don't know if you, you've you seen this, but uh, Red Man made a song called Smack the Shit At you, which I was, haven't seen that. No, no. Oh, it's a very good video. Um, I think I saw that after I got the concept. And I was like, all right, Smackin's back in. You know, it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a virtually virtually harmless <laughs> thing to do to a person but also just wakes you the fuck up and disturbs mm. you and makes you angry <laughs> so perfect mm. and yeah um I'm, I'm like forgetting the name of this one game that i was thinking of but um and if this is like a thing that you're like working on in the background like feel free to like ignore me here but um wasn't there like a game that was like the spiritual successor to like jet set radio that was like kind of being worked on at this point um i forget the name of it though. there's a lot of them but the big one yeah, yeah, is yeah. the big one is bomb rush Cyberfunk. um yeah, yeah by the developers of lethal league and i definitely i feel like it's going to be a moment with both of our things coming out maybe around the same time ish i don't know when that game is coming out it's coming out next year and this thing is coming out uh near the last third of this year so maybe there will be some sustained jet set radio energy in the air um i think it looks like they're making some really good uh some really good choices with that game gameplay wise um and i'm very excited to play it so first and foremost i want to thank you just even as a fan of your work that i've been for like i'd say maybe the, the past like five years even so it's definitely been the music that i would like thank you. consider like the soundtrack of my life i'd like play it as i'm going on a walk just to clear my head or things like that so i want to thank you just for the stuff that you do and the work that you're still planning on doing well thank you so much for doing this yeah no problem Smack a racist in the face Jet out and leave him screaming in the place Hold up, rockin' Smack a racist in the face Jet out and leave him screaming in the place Hold up, rockin'
up rocking, smack a racist to the face. Jet out and leave him screaming in the place. Pull up rocking, smack a racist to the face. Jet out and leave him screaming in the place.